Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sharon Stevens. Today we take a closer look at the sad fact that Missouri is home to 22 of the 100 puppy mills on the Humane Society's list of worst puppy mills in the country. Joining me just the other day to talk about it were Sarah Javier, President and Executive Director of the Animal Protective Association of Missouri, and John Goodwin, Senior Director of the Humane Society of the United States Stop Puppy Mills Campaign. I started by asking John what he makes of the fact that Missouri has topped the list of states with problem puppy mills for seven years straight. Well, the Midwest has been the kind of the epicenter of puppy mills ever since dog breeding shifted from kind of a small, you know, home-based hobby type thing to a mass production, uh, you know, factory farm-like business model. It built up in Missouri specifically in the post-World War II era. It kind of spread around in the uh, Midwest region. And despite the reforms that were enacted in 2010 and were diluted a bit in 2011, Missouri still has more puppy mills than any other state. Now, when you visit or inspect these puppy mills, what particular problems do you see? Well, I think that our Horrible 100 report really documents the most common problems that we see in puppy mills in terms of problems that violate the letter of the law. You know, we saw uh, through the inspection reports that were the basis of this report dogs who were kept in filthy conditions, dogs that had veterinary problems that went untreated, dogs who were exposed to uh, freezing temperatures or excessively hot temperatures, maybe without access to water, so on and so forth. But that just documents the problems we saw that violated the letter of the law. The fact is, is that if you have a USDA license to raise dogs in a commercial dog breeding operation, you can keep dogs in a cage that are only six inches longer than their body. They can stand on wire flooring their entire lives with their paws never touching a blade of grass. They can be bred every heat cycle till their body wears out, and then they can be killed. And that gets to the crux of the problem. This is an industry that sees dogs not as loving family members, but rather as an agriculture commodity to exploit. So why are they keeping these dogs if they're going to keep them in such horrendous conditions? They see the dogs as just an agricultural product, an agricultural commodity, and so they're trying to produce as many puppies as they can so that they can sell them and uh, make the almighty dollar. And that's what it comes down to fundamentally. You, know, you or I or probably most of the people listening to this program have a dog. We see them as a family member. You know, Many of them sleep on our beds. They, they get the best food. They get the best veterinary care. Uh, but the life is very, very different for the breeding moms that are kept in these puppy mills. And so when someone sees that really cute, adorable puppy in a pet store window, they need to ask themselves, where is that puppy's mother? And what sort of conditions is she being raised in? Because so often uh, the truthful answer is horrifying. Well, now, when violations are discovered, are people arrested, convicted, punished? Generally, what happens is is that there's just a, you know a citation, maybe a small fine, slap on the wrist. So when someone has a license, whether it's with the Missouri Department of Agriculture or the USDA, then they have to open themselves up to an inspection, you know, periodically, maybe once or twice a year, and those inspectors don't have particularly strong penalties at their disposal to hand out when they see violations. Now, there are animal cruelty laws, but remember that 
law enforcement officer, like a sheriff's deputy, for example, can't just wander on your property. Now, when you are licensed by a regulatory agency, someone from that, an inspector from that agency can just come in, and, but, the, but they don't have the ability to arrest someone for cruelty. If they see something that's particularly horrific, they can call the sheriff's department, but it's only the sheriff's department that can come in and actually use the stronger animal cruelty laws, and they just don't have the same access to these properties. So as a result, a lot of really bad stuff goes on, and uh, some of these people, I mean, there's one individual in this particular inspection report, who's been, I mean, in our Horrible Hunter report, who she's been in there seven years in a row and it continues to operate. So really not enough happens. Let's uh, turn to Sarah at this point. What was your reaction, Sarah, when you heard that for the seventh year in a row, once again, Missouri topped the list? So in shelters, you see animals come in in all kinds of situations. Um, They come to us for a number of different reasons. And we do see some animals that come from puppy mills or, um, you know, there are some of the the lucky moms that don't get killed and they they make make their way to us. Um, When I read this report, my stomach churned. Um, It was sickening. We can do better. We need to do better. Um, and exactly what John is saying, there needs to be um, more legislation to to end what's happening. At the uh, at the APA where you are, how many animals are are waiting for forever home? So in 2018, we took in close to 4,500 animals. Um, and, and how many can you hold? So that is over the course of a year. Oh, okay. <laughs> At any That's given right. time, <laughs> right? So I can tell you right now, we have um, several hundred animals in the shelter and another two hundred and fifty in foster care. Many of those are puppies and moms that are in foster care. Now you know, people. Not everybody thinks, you know, the best of shelters. Uh, what do you do to try and? let people know that you are looking out for animals? Sure. So I think um, it's important when, when people don't necessarily think the best of shelters, I often ask, have they ever stepped foot in one? Um, you know, you'll be amazed the the preconceptions or the notions that people have about animal shelters are very often incorrect. Um, they think that there's something wrong with the animals or that they're problem animals, and that's not the case at all. Um, and very often when people step foot in our doors, they see that it is truly an incredible place. And for those people who are looking for a purebred animal, for example, we get purebred animals at the APA, and, and they come to us for so many different reasons. Like I said, we have puppies. Um, we also, of course, have cats. We have animals that come to us because of family member for whatever reason, financial, um, financial issues, a family member dies. They come to us for all kinds of reasons. They're not bad animals. They're wonderful animals just in need of a second chance. Okay. John, let me get back to you for a second. Why Missouri? Why is it uh, seemingly easier to establish puppy mills here than in other places? Well, I don't know that it's any easier in Missouri to establish puppy mills, but rather you have an industry that's been entrenched for a very long time. And in 2010, the voters of Missouri did approve a ballot initiative called Proposition B that put in place a lot of reforms. Unfortunately, the legislature came in in 2011 and diluted the uh, measure that was passed. So the end product was still better than 
what had existed before, but it wasn't what the voters had approved. And and I, I see in a lot of the news articles from uh, Missouri newspapers that the legislature continues to be criticized for overturning the will of people on other issues as well. So it seems to be kind of an ongoing problem there. But uh, I guess my point is is that there was a big effort to change things, and basically, you know, we ended up with about half of what the voters had approved. So this industry continues to be entrenched. But the fact is that it's it's easy to open a puppy mill pretty much anywhere in the United States, unfortunately, uh, particularly if you go out into a rural area where, you know, you can get on a big property and no one really sees what you're doing, and you're selling puppies through pet stores or through websites where the end customer has no way of seeing where the dogs are kept. Uh, it, it works out very well for these people. Why is it okay for those pet stores <laughs> to buy these animals? I mean, why would they say, yeah, sure, you know, I'll take 16 of your dogs? Well, think about it from the perspective of someone that, that runs a pet store. They've got these glass display cases they want filled with puppies from uh, any number of breeds. And so they don't want to have a Rolodex of 450 what we would call responsible breeders, the people that have you know maybe a litter once every year and focus on a specific individual breed of dog. They want to go to some puppy broker who has uh, who's in touch with all the puppy mills in the area and gathering up all of these mass-produced puppies so they can keep these display cases filled. And that's why we say pet store puppies are puppy mill puppies. Uh, I, I don't know the exact percentage. It could, it could be nearly 100%, probably 99% of the puppies in pet stores come from puppy mills. And I'm being conservative when I say 99%, just to make room for the, you know, if someone brought an accidental litter in there and, you know, sold them to a store. That's why 300 local communities in now two states, California and Maryland, have passed legislation banning the sale of commercially raised puppies in pet stores because they don't want to support that sort of inhumane treatment of these dogs. And uh, you're seeing more and more governments around the country taking up legislation along those lines. Um, two questions here. How many um, animals have been found at Missouri puppy mills over the last seven years, and how many of them survived? Well, you know, animal dogs can be pretty resilient. Uh, I know that with... In Missouri, just with USDA licensed facilities, there's about 775, uh, and then there's a few hundred more that are going to have a state license but not a USDA license. And then there's probably some unlicensed facilities as well. And any one of these facilities could have anywhere from you know a dozen animals to several hundred animals. There are even a few mega mills around the country that have as many as a thousand dogs that they're keeping in these in these conditions. And so you can get into the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dogs that are being kept in puppy mills. Um, a lot of them can certainly survive. Uh, they may be miserable, but they can still produce offspring. And, you know, that's all the puppy mill needs. I couldn't give you an exact count of how many die, though, because of the fact that you know, these guys kind of have this shoot, shovel, and shut up mentality where if there's a dog that they want to get rid of, they shoot them, they, they shovel a hole in the ground, they, and they shut their mouth. So no think, one does. I think it's important to talk about the health of these animals, too. So in the puppy mill environment, the moms and the puppies, and, and John, you could probably add more to this, they're not getting adequate care. You know, they're not, they're not seeing veterinarians. The puppies mm -hmm. are often sick. 
Um, they die from illnesses that are highly contagious among animals, but are highly preventable as well. Um, so these animals, you know, they go into homes and to these pet stores, and, and they are very sick. And that is one of the things that I think it's important for people to know. Um, you know, when they're in a shelter, we have veterinarians on staff who are providing care to these animals, make sh- making sure they have their vaccinations, spaying and neutering each of them. Um, so being responsible in how we provide that health care. That, that's a, can, can I just say that's a very oh, yeah, point? Sure. Because just right now, uh, just this week, there was a national news coverage of an outbreak of brucellosis in dogs stemming from a puppy mill in Iowa. This is a very contagious disease. Uh, it causes spontaneous abortions in pregnant dogs and other health problems. And, uh, you know, of course, it was linked to a puppy mill. And then just prior to that, there was a Centers for Disease Control investigation into an uh, outbreak of this Campylobacter infection. This is a bacteria. Uh, and normally, when someone gets infected with Campylobacter, it's kind of like salmonella food poisoning. You know, you, you have a rough night, uh, but you're okay. This particular strain, though, was putting some people in the hospital and turned out to be resistant to all of the frontline antibiotics that were used. The CDC investigated uh, every, let's see, I think about 95, 96% of these people had been in contact with puppies from pet stores. And they traced it to the commercial pet breeding industry, the puppy mill industry. And they found uh, that the sanitation problems every step of the way from the puppy mill to the transport uh, vehicle to the pet stores had, you know, their problems with just keeping the place clean. And they also found that 95% of the puppies sold in pet stores have been given antibiotics, largely for preventative reasons. Well, I think that tells you everything you need to know right there. When these folks feel that they've got to give 95% of the puppies antibiotics for for preventative reasons, prophylactic reasons, they know that they have an industry that is failing the health of these animals. I'm talking with Sarah Javier, President and Executive Director of the Animal Protective Association of Missouri, and John Goodwin, Senior Director of the Humane Society of the United States Stop Puppy Mills Campaign. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back. We return now to our conversation in light of the ongoing problems surrounding many puppy mills in Missouri. While talking recently with the Humane Society's John Goodwin and APA Missouri's Sarah Javier, I asked Sarah if the APA received support from law enforcement in its efforts to protect those animals' welfare. So I can I can speak to the APA. We actually do not have a... Um, we don't have any authority to go in and seize animals, but we do have, um, when animals are taken from situations like this, we do receive some of these animals. Um, and I will tell you, it is a tremendous drain on our resources. Um, these animals very often require more veterinary care. They come to us in after horrible conditions with many issues. Um, so not only does it require more medical care, But it also takes more staff time. These animals have very often not been properly socialized or interacted with people. So it requires staff to to spend time with these animals and um, socialize them so they are adoptable and can fit into a home. Um, It also, because they're there longer due to medical care and and socialization reasons, um, you know, that's... 
um, is a drain for resources for the time that they're there, but also it prevents us from taking other animals in. Um, so it, it holds a space for quite a, quite a good amount of time. Uh, John, did you want to respond to that about uh, how much help, if any, you get from law yeah. enforcement? It, it really depends on where you're at and the issue you're dealing with. Uh, there are counties in Missouri. Um, I'll give you an example. The Missouri Pet Breeders Association is a trade group for puppy millers in Missouri. And they put in their newsletter that uh, the Texas County Sheriff had attended one of their meetings and assured them that they would have no problems with his agency. So obviously, we wouldn't get very much help in that county at all. But then there are other counties where the law enforcement agencies are more in sync with public opinion, and they want to do something about cruelty, whether it's in a puppy mill or some other sort of case. Maybe it's a cockfighting case or some horses in a field who are malnourished. So it really varies just depending on uh, the agency in question and the uh, attitudes of the people in charge. But there are some law enforcement agencies that have been wonderful in wanting to work with us and uh, get good things done. And there's others that have been lacking. Okay. You know, I wonder where all of this, um, the the interest started, you know, the activism uh, to check out these puppy mills and to, um, you know, do what you can to get laws changed. You know, when I was a little girl, I had a dog, uh, Mike, and I don't know where Mike came from other than next door. He lived next door. He was a puppy. And you know, he was always trying to get into our yard, and finally our neighbor said, you know, you, you all should take him. He really wants to be with you. But we knew nothing about him. Um, but, um, you know, today uh, I'm guessing that, that more people, you know, might be more interested in where these puppies come from. How did that all start? Well, I think that there is uh, an intrinsic bond that people do have with animals, and in some cases, people become desensitized to the suffering. It kind of gets beat out of them at a young age. But for others, humane values are instilled. I can tell you that my grandmother, who uh, helped raise me for many years, she loved animals. I mean, you know, she after my grandfather died, she put she just basically had a what she would call a farm, but it wasn't a commercial venture. She ended up with 80 miniature horses and peacocks and ducks and numerous dogs and and these these were all animals. And I'll tell you there's a funny story. She got two turkeys as pets. And uh one day one of them was sick, so she took both of these turkeys to the vet and uh, in the parking lot uh, someone said, hey, which one of them's Thanksgiving and which one's Christmas? And she, in her <laughs> other and grandmother Jeez. way, chastised him from one end of the parking lot to the other. So, uh, saying, these are our pets. So, I was personally raised in a family where we respected animals as individuals and recognized that they should be treated with dignity and respect, and any sort of poor treatment was frowned upon. And uh, I think those are good values, because I think that when we treat the least among us with respect and dignity, then we treat everyone with respect and dignity. Sarah, how can the average person, uh, what can the average person do to help stop the puppy mill issues at the source? And, and really, what's the public responsibility in terms of, you know, there's a demand for puppies? So I think that it's really important for people to educate themselves on this issue. Um, it's easy to walk into a pet store and you see that adorable ball of fluff with the big sad eyes looking up at you, and you can easily convince yourself that by purchasing that puppy, you're rescuing them. 
you're not rescuing them. What you're doing is you are turning a profit for for um, the people who bred that puppy. You are creating another spot for another puppy mill puppy to be put in there, and you're continuing a cycle of cruelty for those those parents of that puppy. Um, so I think it's really important that we take those blinders off and we educate ourselves about puppy mills and how those puppies get there. I also think that it's important for people to open their mind to adoption. Um, I think that by promoting adoption through animal shelters, you are helping more than one animal. You're helping that save that animal that you take home, but you're creating a space for another animal who needs that second chance to be put into that, that spot and find a home of their own. And by doing that, we decrease the demand for puppy mills and help put them out of business. Um, I think that it's important for people to open their mind to adoption um, and really consider, you know, while responsible breeders, um, you know, I, I understand people want a specific type of breed sometimes. Um, if it's a responsible breeder, I can respect that. Um, but I, I think that it's important for people to consider when they're wanting a particular breed. Are they really wanting that breed or are they wanting what that breed represents? Mm -hmm. Are you wanting a gentle companion for your, for your child? Are you wanting a really smart dog who you can impress your friends with all of their tricks? Well, we have those animals in shelters too. And so by adopting a shelter pet, not only are you helping the animal who needs that second chance, but you are helping put those puppy mills out of business and you're helping end that cruelty. And I think that people need to, to realize that. Should people um, become more active, outspoken, take part in protests or those things that would help? And boy, how easy would that be to uh, do? So, um, I, you know, I think that it all goes back to educating yourself and doing what you are comfortable with, doing something instead of nothing. Um, you know, getting involved if, in legislative issues is that if that's your thing, um, learning more. Um, you know, John has put out a, a great publication, and the Humane Society of the United States is, has shared a lot of knowledge on this topic. Um, so educating yourself, getting involved how you can, and doing something. Okay. Realistically, uh, John, what are the chances that uh, Missouri won't top the list next year? Well, this year of the 100 puppy mills that were in the Horrible 100 report, 22 were from uh, Missouri, and then the next state down was Iowa, and there were 13. So there's a little bit of a gap there, mm -hmm. you know, from 13 to 22. So I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri topped the list. But you know, I do want to say, and, and you know, your your previous question was about people getting involved. I really do believe that engaged citizenry can really make a huge difference. I mean, I remember just you know, 1996, and how different the world was then. And the world changes, and it changes fast, and it changes in the direction that uh, we want it to change in, provided we're able to, to mobilize public opinion. And uh, I really do think that when it comes to dogs, people love dogs. And there's a disconnect between the conditions that, you know, our family pets are in and the conditions of these do dogs and puppy mills. Well, that can change. That can change. And I really do believe that, you know, maybe Missouri will be, have the more, most mills in the 2020 Horrible 100 report. But this isn't going to go on forever. This is a solvable problem. Well, you know, it could be argued that people uh, became activists when, you know, they voted, uh, they overturned the, the law in Missouri and the legislature came back and said, oh, we're going to make a few changes, you know. 
uh, that people tried to do something and, you know, it didn't work. Well, I do think that there are, uh, you know, some some hurdles that we run into with the legislative government. I mean, powerful interest groups get their things into some of these lawmakers, and it makes it hard. But, you know, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. that said that the uh, uh, the arc of justice, uh, you know, the arc of history bends towards justice. It just, you know... Maybe it takes a little longer than uh, he was envisioning when he said that. I do think that uh, you know things are changing, and if the Missouri legislature doesn't want to do anything about puppy mills, that's okay. Uh, St. Louis could do an ordinance to prohibit the sale of puppy mill dogs in pet stores. Uh, other states are considering legislation along those lines, like New York and Pennsylvania and uh, Maine and Connecticut and Rhode Island right now. So... There are a lot of different ways to tackle this problem and address this, even if the Missouri legislature doesn't want to do anything. Okay. Um, Sarah, let me ask you if you uh, have any final thoughts on this as we kind of come to a close here. Um, I want to say thanks for giving us this opportunity to to really bring to light some of the issues around puppy mills. Um, and also, I would invite anyone who's listening who hasn't been into a shelter and maybe has these preconceived notions of what a shelter is like to come in. It's a pretty magical place. Um, the APA does extraordinary work with partners across our state to save thousands of animals every single year. And if someone cares about animals, I think it's a really great place to start getting involved and making a difference. Okay. Thank you. John, any final thoughts from you? Well, I just encourage everyone that wants to learn more about this issue to visit humanesociety.org slash puppy mills. And I also want to thank Sarah for coming on. The APA is a wonderful organization, and I encourage people in the area to support them as well. All right. I want to thank my guest, Sarah Javier, President and Executive Director of the Animal Protective Association of Missouri, and on the phone, John Goodwin, Senior Director of the Humane Society of the United States Stop Puppy Mills Campaign. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.